everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pattern Recognition, a show that connects the dots that lead to good business decision making. I'm your host, John Hu, growth equity investor at Norwest Venture Partners and former investment banker Goldman Sachs. So before we get started today, I just wanted to ask a very quick favor of you and that if you are enjoying the show, I'd greatly appreciate if you could take the two seconds to leave a rating and review. And in return, I promise you that this podcast will never, ever have ads that you'll have to skip through. But getting back to the show, we are covering an entirely new business model today, one that doesn't generate value in the same way as a conventional business. Specifically, we're talking about cryptocurrency-based businesses, which generally aren't monetizing by selling us products, but instead are creating value by increasing the utility of their respective cryptocurrency so that the portion of that currency that they own increases in value proportionally. So that is why I am very excited to announce Monica Long, the Senior Vice President of Marketing at Ripple, as today's podcast guest. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Ripple, Ripple is a digital processing payment system that is revolutionizing the global flow of money. Specifically, how they're doing so is by monetizing their blockchain-based payment network to financial institutions. And those networks are built upon their cryptocurrency XRP. And as of the release of this podcast, the market cap for XRP stands at over $19 billion. So it's no surprise that Ripple is making massive waves in the financial ecosystem. So in today's podcast, Monica and I start with what exactly Ripple and XRP actually do, as well as how Ripple as a company functions with an entirely new kind of business model. Additionally, Monica and I discuss how XRP is bringing a step function like innovation to the needlessly complex payments ecosystem by creating a solution deep down at the infrastructure level, as opposed to building an app at the very top of the payment stack. And lastly, Monica shares what it's like to evangelize a brand in an entirely new market. So why don't we get started? Hey, Monica, how's it going? Good. How are you, John? I am doing great. Thanks for taking some time. Thank you. Very excited to be on your show. I am excited to dive into the world of cryptocurrency here as a first for the podcast. And just given that your job is to evangelize this market, I'm looking forward to hearing from you what exactly this entirely new kind of business model is. But before we dive in, why don't we start with a bit on your background and how you came to join the Ripple team? Cool. Happy to. This is ever exciting topic to me. So glad to spend time on it. For my background, I have always taken an interest in understanding inequalities in the world, economic, social, otherwise. Actually, my major in college was studying developing economies. And I went into the field of communication straight out of college, working at a PR agency. One of my clients was Prosper. So Prosper was one of the first people-to-people lending marketplaces co-founded by Chris Larson. And what I loved about working with Chris and the Prosper team was the democratizing effect of what they wanted to accomplish, you know, bring lending back to kind of its community roots. Found that very inspirational. From there, I went to Intuit, big tax and accounting software firm. And I had the great privilege of reconnecting with Chris in 2013 So he had just gotten into this beautiful world of crypto. And when I reconnected with him, we had this deep conversation about how he saw Bitcoin and all the innovation around cryptocurrency as 
being this great equalizer in many ways and finally bringing the world of finance into the age of the internet. And when we got to talking about the downstream effects of, you know, you think of what the internet has done for knowledge sharing, information sharing, communication, and obviously the far-reaching effects of what internet technology has done for the world. When you look at the span of 20, 30 years, I could tell like he really felt like this was the moment with blockchain and crypto that would forever change the world. So that got me hooked. Uh, and then I kind of leapt off the cliff with him and, and joined Ripple. And I would imagine based off of the price rallying and XRP over the past few years that that's been a great decision. So I'd love if you could help demystify what even is Ripple and what is XRP and what exactly do they do? Great. I'm happy to. So we, our company is Ripple. We are a payments company. So we develop solutions that make international payments frictionless for financial institutions. Those are our customers. We use blockchain and crypto technology as part of that solution. And the digital asset that we use as part of our software suite is called XRP. And can you help highlight the pain points for the audience that Ripple is addressing? Because I think for most consumers, the system of global payments is relatively abstracted, where I just tell my bank to send someone money in another country, and then at some point I just trust that it gets there a few days later. Absolutely. So I think you said something key there. Your experience, you send a payment internationally and you kind of cross your fingers and you're like, I think it'll get there and hopefully they'll tell me when it gets there. I probably need to follow up. So if I were to summarize the pain points with international payments, number one, it's speed. It can take three to five days for the money to get there. Two, it's reliability. 6% of payments fail when they're moving internationally. Many more get delayed. And it's interesting because when that happens, if you call your bank or payment provider, they don't necessarily know where the payment is while it's in flight. Like they don't even have visibility into where your money is. And then thirdly, it's, it's just expensive. You know, wire fees can be upwards of $20 for folks who have to send money home. So they might be migrant workers sending a good portion of their paycheck back home to feed their family. That's a really big cost to them. And it, it, zooming out, like if you look at the whole size of the problem, we estimate that there's about $10 trillion trapped in this kind of outdated system. And I think it's worth pointing out that to date, most of the fintech innovation that's going on at scale has been at the application layer, right? So the Venmos of the world, the Plaids of the world, and there's no one really attacking the really difficult problem farther down the stack at the infrastructure level except for Ripple. So could you talk more about how hard that problem is and what exactly Ripple is doing to solve that problem? Yeah, I mean, that's a great insight. So true. Even, yeah, the great, beautiful experiences that we get to use as consumers at the application level, it's still running on this rickety old infrastructure first built in the 1970s. Like, oh my God, I can't believe it hasn't been updated since the disco era. The challenge is really interoperating systems. So what we found in our journey to find product market fit is that payment systems domestically generally work pretty well. It's when you're sending payments across networks, and usually that use case is international. So our design and, and what we're, way in which we're using blockchain and crypto is to 
interoperate these disparate systems so that payments across the systems are as frictionless as they are within. And how do XRP, the cryptocurrency, and then Ripple, the company, interact? Yeah, great question. XRP is, think of it as a part of our technology solution. So it's a piece of technology that we use as part of our RippleNet offering. And to drill into what I specifically mean about the problem it's solving, when I talked about $10 trillion trapped, what's going on there is that because of the inefficiencies with getting money across borders, financial institutions work around that problem by opening local currency accounts all over the world, and then they just park money there. So if one of their customers needs to get money to India, they have money sitting in a local rupee account and they can just push it out over local rails at any given time. But that represents money that they're not able to deploy as working capital to grow their businesses. So what XRP enables is, and it's a part of a product we call XRapid that various financial institutions are adopting. And what that allows them to do is to serve the liquidity for international payment on demand. So, you know, John needs to send money to China on an on-demand basis. Your bank can provide the liquidity through XRP. So the transaction can settle across this distributed ledger instantly, even though it's across borders, and then be transferred into a Chinese account. Got it. Whereas the old model required a couple of days to transfer across ledgers, and in Ripple's case, it's instant, right? That's right. And yeah, the old model, there's kind of no global shared ledger system. It's crossing all these different boundaries and intermediaries. Yeah, and all of these different silos and systems and banks and cross-border businesses and all of the compliance and cybersecurity risks that comes with that. So this is a hugely innovative service, which begs the question, who's paying for this, right? I mean, how exactly does Ripple make money and who are your customers? Ripple's customers are, when I say financial institutions, there's basically two types. It's banks and payment providers. Payment providers generally are offering services to consumers or small businesses to either send money to friends and family or to pay international suppliers. We do have a software and services aspect to our business. Most of our revenue comes from a novel business model where we sell XRP. So Ripple owns about $60 billion XRP. And our North Star as a business is to help the broader XRP ecosystem increase XRP's utility, liquidity, and trust, which will generate value for the currency. Right. So you're incentivized to do whatever you can to increase the value of Ripple, whether that be with the product's utility or the network effects, right? So you're not actually generating revenue, but you're more so increasing the value of your assets. So to just put a bit of a finer point on that, as a business, Ripple is incentivized to increase the utility for XRP. Yeah, as a currency becomes more useful, of course, you know, over time, it becomes more stable and more valuable. So we went about and, and identified this killer use case for XRP, designed a whole product suite around it. We've been successfully marketing and selling it. Got it. So then in your role as SVP marketing... 
you're building a brand for an entirely new business model. So there's a ton of evangelizing going on. So are you building a B2B organization or are you building a B2C organization? (laughs) My job's awesome. It's so exciting. And I mean, I'd even rewind to those early days. So I joined in 2013 and my immediate customer who we're marketing to is financial institutions. Like very squarely, we need to kind of deploy all the usual marketing tactics to get them bought into RippleNet. But that all started with market education, broader market education, because if you think back to that time, the world of crypto was unknown. What was known about it wasn't all that great. It was, uh, you know, the Silk Road bust and Mt. Gox collapse. So very early, we set about reorienting the broader marketplace to understand the positive from these innovations that this industry could come together and mature and be very constructive actors to use the innovation in positive ways. Part and parcel to that was early engagement with regulators and educating and influencing regulators to understand what the potential is, how we could as an industry, work to add protections and regulations so that it's being used in positive, constructive ways. And for anyone who works in enterprise software, they know just how slowly banks can move. And oftentimes, of course, for good reason, but they're notorious for being the slowest of partners. So in that evangelism process, was there any specific message that resonated with them and that really helped accelerate that partnership cycle? Yeah, I mean, we learned a lot along the way. You know, as head of marketing, part of my job is developing our go-to-market strategy. So understanding which customers we go after at which time with which value proposition. And what we've learned is that the right customer for this technology right now is digital first. And in many cases, well, if you look at the entirety of our customer base, increasingly there's more payment providers than banks who are, you know, fast moving, they're in growth mode, not cost cutting mode. That's an important insight. Institutions who are trying to squeeze and save costs and the the business case for deploying new technology like this is not nearly salient as a business that is in hyper growth mode and wants to be really competitive on cost and new benefits like end-to-end transparency for the payment and instant settlement. And now that Ripple has significant traction, could you talk towards a specific case study of how partners are using Ripple and the ROI associated with that? Yeah, sure. I can think of a couple. We have great customers. They're they're just like a lot of fun to work with. So I love hearing these stories. One example is BTEC. BTEC is a provider of remittance services based out of Brazil. Because of the cost savings that they could see from using RippleNet, they lowered their prices for customers from $20 to $2 and saw like an 8x volume increase within the first week. So yeah, from a marketing standpoint, the proposition is really about helping these institutions grow their businesses, acquire new types of customers, compete effectively in the digital age. Hmm. And could you talk about that process? Because I'm guessing here, but I would assume the supply chain works by someone sending BTEC money in their domestic currency, and then BTEC converts that XRP to send that across country lines, and then BTEC converts XRP into the new currency. Is that correct? So in BTEC's case, they were not using XRP as part of that payment flow. 
the prices that they were providing to their customers, they lowered from 20 to 2. From our conversations with them, they were able to do that because of their operational cost savings from using RippleNet versus their prior solution. In the case of, so I'll give you another example, a customer called Mercury FX. They're based out of the UK and they do use XRapids. They use XRP as part of the payment flow for payments from Europe to Mexico. So how that works is Mercury FX integrates with XRapid. In, in XRapid, part of the value chain there includes exchanges. So we have crypto exchange partners in Europe and then also in Mexico. Market makers, in many cases, these could be hedge funds, folks who actively are looking to you know, buy and sell currencies. They're the ones who are facilitating the exchange between euro to XRP. XRP then traverses, yeah, exactly, overseas within seconds. And then another market maker makes the market between XRP to MXN. Got it. So that all makes sense because my follow-up question was going to be around the question of volatility, where in today's world of cryptocurrency prices, where everything's swinging around quite a bit, where in one instance, XRP could be worth X dollars and then literally two seconds later, it could be worth 20% less. So I was curious how exactly you handle that volatility, but it sounds like there are a number of market makers that handle that volatility for you. Precisely. The market makers taking on that risk, which for them, they like that. They like the volatility. Our customers aren't taking that on. And shifting back more towards your role, what exactly is Ripple's brand? I mean, what is the message that you're putting out to the market? Ripple is about removing friction from global payments. So what myself and my team, what we're responsible for is building Ripple as a global payments brand. So shifting towards the last section of the podcast, which all revolves around the title, pattern recognition, what are some consistent themes or patterns you see across successful cryptocurrency-based businesses? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And the industry is still early days and it's maturing and evolving. Still a great time to become a part of it. What I've seen work is first and foremost, having a use case focus, identifying what is the problem you're solving for whom why is your solution different? What's your differentiation or your moat? And then to invest early on in building a brand positioning around that. I do think that for lots of entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurs with backgrounds as developers, they kind of maybe overlook or skip that step. And it's so critical. I mean, I think brand can be as important as your product, can really be make or break to the success of your business. Reason being is you could have the best product ever, but if the market and your target customer doesn't understand that, you're not going to get anywhere. Secondly, I think that increasingly, no matter what industry you're in and what product you're marketing, you can't underestimate the value of the community. And especially within blockchain crypto, because it was born from you know an open source movement, community is really at the heart of winning an audience. So... I really think about financial institutions as our customer we're marketing to, but we definitely understand that there's a whole sphere of influencers and other stakeholders who, yeah, do influence the perception of our customer. So not to underestimate that. And I mean, yeah, lastly, just kind of back to the basics of listen to the voice of your customer. They will reveal the answers to you. 
Yeah, and I think the point you made earlier about how Ripple engaged regulators early on is really, really key. As all of these serious ICOs and serious cryptocurrencies have needed to do that, especially after the most recent crash. And I think that's really key because there's such a libertarian mindset to the broader cryptocurrency community, where it's very much so a move fast and break things kind of mentality. And I think at some point you have to be a little bit more moderate relative to that kind of developer mindset. So. Yeah. And I mean, I think Ripple has really benefited from Chris Larson's early leadership there and our current CEO, Brad Garlinghouse. They both are Silicon Valley vets. This is Chris's third fintech startup. So he understands that move fast and break things doesn't quite work that way in the world of finance. And your future and success really depends on your engagement with regulators. So we've tried to always be the adults in the room. That's great. And then on a more personal note, what is a book you've read recently and how has it changed your perspective? I just finished The Everything Store, which came out a few years ago, a book about Amazon by Brad Stone. It's great. Very highly recommend it. I mean, I think Amazon fascinates all of us and Jeff Bezos as a leader fascinates everyone. But something that really resonated with me was just his boldness and conviction and it's something in terms of pattern recognition you see across any kind of successful tech entrepreneur having conviction in your vision and the courage to pursue it, even when you have a lot of voices around you telling you it's a bad idea. What stuck out to me in the Amazon story was when Bezos, he made the executive decision to integrate third-party sellers into the search results right alongside Amazon sellers, which upset everybody. But his North Star laser focus on delivering the best customer experience possible guided that decision, and it was obviously game-changing. And then when you think about Amazon's marketing, what is something you think they do fantastically well? Well, I think something Bezos has always been, and Amazon's always championed, that has served them very well, and it's kind of become a part of tech DNA, is customer centricity. You know, he's always talked about being customer obsessed. And when you do that, I mean, I really do think like it's the secret to success for any business. And as team marketing here at Ripple, like everything has to start and stop with the customer. That's awesome. Well, Monica, thanks so much for the time. Thank you, John. Once again, a big thank you to Monica for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about Ripple and XRP, I will include some learning materials in the show notes. However, I do need to make the legal disclaimer that all content I produce is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal business investment or tax advice. References to any securities or digital assets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute an investment recommendation or offer to provide investment advisory services. You can reach me on Twitter at John Heasy or on Instagram at John Jihu. So thank you all for tuning in and I'll talk to you next week.